guys can grab your seats. Thank you very much. How are you going this morning, church? Are you excited? Are you glad to be in church this morning on this rainy? I don't even actually know if it's still raining. Is it still raining? Anyway, who cares? Like Jason said, we are in week two of our First Things First series, um, and I'm really excited for what it is that God uh, wants to say to each of us. Um, I don't know if anyone caught last week's message. Uh, Pastor Jenny, she preached an incredible message. If you haven't heard it, um, I, I recommend you go online, check it out. Um, but it's gonna, in this series, this whole idea behind First Things First is evaluating what our priorities are. You know, we, we all have different stories. Uh, we all have different responsibilities, roles, commitments. Life can look differently for everyone. Uh, we all have stuff. But there is a huge difference between what the world prioritizes and what God prioritizes. And so our hope uh, through this series is that we would each be able to evaluate what are our priorities, what is number one in our life. And ultimately, that we would be open to the Holy Spirit pointing out to us when we've got our priorities wrong. And that can be a little bit challenging. You know, it's like, mm, I don't, it's, not, it's not a comfortable experience. But we shouldn't be afraid of being challenged. Because it's when we're challenged that we're able to grow. And when we're challenged, we're empowered into all the best that God has for us. So I'm excited. And I think that God is going to speak to us each personally and powerfully this morning. But before we go any further, let's just pray. God, we fix our eyes on you right now. We know that you're here that you're not hidden from us, but that you're waiting to speak to us. And so we put aside distractions. We put aside anything that would pull our gaze from you. And we open the ears of our heart to receive what it is that you would say to us this morning. Amen. Um, I am a little bit of a sucker for marketing. I'm a little bit of a sucker, um, but I'm an aware sucker. I, I'm, I'm very aware that I'm being sucked in. Like, I see the bait and I take a bite anyway, and I let them reel me in. I know it's marketing, but I, I'm, I'm all for it. And what um, I've found is that marketing largely is trying to communicate the needs of um, what, what a product is and how it will actually appeal to you and your needs. Marketing looks at what it is that you want. What is it that you want? And whatever product or service it's trying to sell to you, it will find the way to articulate to you how whatever they offer meets those needs through eloquent product descriptions, beautiful packaging, you know, promises of a better future, all of that jazz. You know, you can go to a restaurant and you can see chocolate lava cake on a menu and it's like, meh, you know, whatever. But make it... Belgian chocolate ghetto, accompanied by a Madagascan vanilla cream. It's like, oh, hello. That's a bit bougie. That sounds good. I'm interested. I, um, I've taken a couple of marketing units with my uni studies, and uh, one of the things that I was taught is that what good marketing is trying to do is understand what makes you tick. What makes you tick? Because if they can understand what makes you tick... They can figure out um, how to strategize um, messages to appeal to you. Packaging, pricing, uh, shelf displays, advertisements, all of these work to convey messages to you, to articulate a need that maybe you didn't even know that you had. 
You know, you, uh, you can be influenced. And it's all, there's all a scale. Like, think of the grocery store. You go to the shops. Um, you go to the baked bean aisle. There's two cans of baked beans. You can get SPC baked beans or you can get Heinz baked beans. Now, they could be exactly the same quantity, exactly the same price, but there will be something that will motivate you to choose one or the other. I could go to Kmart and I could buy a $20 pair of white shoes or I could pay $200 and buy a pair of white shoes that have a Nike swish on them. What motivates my decision to purchase is determined by a number of factors. Price, brand perception, this idea of of what status this can bring to me. What is it that you want? That is the golden question of marketing. What do you want? What is it that matters to you? Because by working out what it is that we want, marketers can orient their messaging. And by asking, what do you want? What marketers are essentially trying to determine is what is it that you desire most? What is it that you desire most? Because marketing has recognised this essential truth about humanity. We are motivated by what we desire, what our ultimate desire is. And so this question in its rawest form is what is it that you love? What is it that you love? Because what you love ultimately reflects what you value the most. And what we value will shape our perceptions, our decisions, our habits, and ultimately our life. And Jesus actually tells us this himself. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is delivering his Sermon on the Mount. And he speaks of the difference between earthly and heavenly treasures. In chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, church, there are so many things in this world. There are so many things in our culture that are vying for our attention, that promise us satisfaction, happiness, wealth and worth. But if we look for our worth in anything that the world offers us, We may find temporary fulfillment or satisfaction, but its reward will be fleeting because we'll be left wanting. And what Jesus is saying is look beyond what it is that the world offers you in the here and now because what I want to offer you, what I want to give to you, gives you eternal satisfaction. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, if our treasure is found in the promises of the world, you will constantly be searching for more because what the world offers is not enough. You know, if I have a sore throat, I can take a throat lozenge and it might make me feel better for a moment. You can even buy those ones now that like have that little bit of anesthetic in it that's meant to numb your throat, but it just numbs your tongue. You know those ones? 
I can take that and it might hide the pain for a moment. It might mask the pain. It might give me temporary relief, but it's not the cure. It can mask what I'm feeling, but it won't fix the issue. And it's the same when it comes to our heart. It's the same when it comes to our heart. We can accumulate all of our wants and we can still be left wanting. We can still find that we're empty. Because when our value and our identity is found in the promises of the world, it just doesn't stop the restlessness of our heart. Because we're created for more. We are created for more. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Your heart reflects what it is that you love the most, what it is that you value. And what you value will shape your perceptions, your decisions, your habits, and ultimately your life. And so the question that I would ask you to consider this morning is what is it that you love? What is it that you love? What is the treasure of your heart? Proverbs 4.23 puts it this way. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Basically, what you value most, what has captivated your heart, has power. It has power, church. How do we know what's captivated our heart? We look at what we give ourselves to, what we give of our time, what we give of our finances, what we give of our attention, All of these reflect what our priorities are. You know, Jesus tells us that we can choose the temporary earthly satisfactions. We can choose that. Or we can choose eternal heavenly fulfillment. These are two options, two treasures that are presented to us. And what Proverbs is basically saying is which treasure we choose will determine our course. It's what orients us. It is what drives us. You know, this verse in Proverbs actually um, offers us countercultural wisdom. It's countercultural. We live in a culture that has embraced this if it feels good, do it rationale. If it feels good, do it. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you feel good, pursue that. Do that. Follow the whims of your passions. You know, we're bombarded with messages that tell us to follow our heart. Follow your heart. You know, from a young age, we grow up with movies and and music and messages that tell us to listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Trust your heart. But the Word of God tells us that our heart is deceitful. Our hearts are fickle. Our hearts are led by, by whims and feelings. You know, ultimately, following our heart is trusting ourself. But the reality is that we are so limited by our short-sightedness. We don't see the full scope of our story. We don't see all the pieces moving together. We don't see everything. We don't know everything. I can't listen to my heart because it has no idea what's going on. My heart doesn't know anything. I don't know anything for sure. In fact, the only thing that I know for sure is that I know nothing for sure. So following my heart seems like pretty dumb business. And yet, I do it anyway. I do it anyway. Our culture says, follow your heart. The Word of God says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. And you know, I always thought of this 
kind of this idea of guarding your heart as like, you know, this bouncer at the door. And he's like, the heart's back there and he's waiting, you know, everyone's trying to get entry and you're sort of like, you know, what's your business? And then they're like, well, I'm a song, I've got some swear words in it. And you're like, nah, on your chuff, you know, no entry here. That that's the role of guarding your heart. That it's about discerning what can come in. And it's important and we should. But interestingly, the, the word that is used here for God, the Hebrew word is netzor, which means to keep. And this more accurately reflects the context of a guard keeping watch of a prisoner. And so when Proverbs tells us to guard our heart, what it's actually doing is saying, keep watch. Keep watch. Make sure your heart is not running rampant. Make sure that your heart is not wreaking havoc. What we have to ask ourselves is, have we taken our heart captive Or are we the captives of our heart? Are we the captives of our heart? Are we captives of our own desire? You know, we live in a culture that absolutely advocates for us to be the determiners. We are the determiners. We are the masters of our own fate. We have this concept of my truth, that we each must live according to my truth, live my own truth. And what this implies is that truth is subjective, that truth is fluid in nature, that it's relative to my experience. But this is a warped idea because the nature of truth and the power of truth is that it's true. It can't be eroded by our wants. It can't be transformed by our conveniences. And our culture will reject an absolute truth because truth is seen as this form of constraint, a way of controlling other people's behaviour. It's a power play. I want to get power over them. If I determine something to be true, then ultimately I'm trying to get you to conform to the constraints of what I've deemed as true which means that you are then enslaved and ensnared by my absolute truth. Our culture rejects truth because it's seen as a form of constraint. But church, without truth, we can't see. If truth is subjective, then it's moulded to whatever my preference is, to whatever suits my own needs and desires. And so it can never be measured or examined against anything because there's nothing to be measured. There is no measure. No measure exists. And so the world tells us that this is better. This is better as long as I'm living my truth. As long as I'm living my truth, I'm all good. Regardless of the destruction that I cause to myself and to others, regardless of the hurt that I may cause, regardless of whether this is actually the best for my life, I determine that for myself. But without truth, we can't see. And in John 8, Jesus is speaking to a crowd and he speaks these words, which I'm sure you've all heard before. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. In a world that will tell you that an absolute truth is a form of constraint, Jesus says there's freedom in knowing truth. 
What's Jesus talking about? What is this truth that he's talking about? Is it knowledge of the Scriptures? Is it this behavioural adherence to his teachings? No. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave this as some cryptic riddle that we have to figure out. He says in John 14, when he's speaking to his disciples, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the truth. This absolute truth that we're called to know doesn't come from attaining knowledge, doesn't come from our behaviour, doesn't come from adhering to a set of principles. It's in knowing a person. The truth will set you free. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. And so when Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, what he's actually talking about is relationship with him. When you know Jesus, when you fix your eyes on relationship with him, then you will know truth because you know Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He gave his life so that we could be free, free from striving, free from effort, free from guilt, shame, condemnation. He set us free so that we could stop chasing temporary satisfaction and quick fixes to the problems of our pain. And instead, He offers us this gift of grace that we just have to accept. And when we accept that, we're led into all truth. We're oriented towards His best. He is the treasure that we need to set our hearts upon. For when He is our treasure, we're led into all truth. We don't have to go searching for it. We don't have to go searching for truth. We just look to Jesus. And where Jesus is, there is freedom. We are set free by the truth. It's countercultural because the world will say that freedom is the absence of constraint and that any constraint that exists prevents you from experiencing the fullness of life. But if you see a fish on the ground, you know that fish isn't free. You know that that fish, it can't live in that context. It's not bound by anything. It's not bound by the restrictions of the water. It's out, but it's on the ground. It can't survive in that context, but put it back in the water. Put it back into the context and the constraints of the water. And in that environment, its strength returns and it's able to function as it was designed to. What's the point here? Freedom is not the absence of constraints. It's alignment with the right constraints. When we surrender, when we give ourselves over to Jesus, when we yield our heart, we're actually released into a deeper freedom. We might have to let go, but it's not a constraint because we're then empowered into more than we could even imagine or dream. Because it's the right constraint. It's the constraint that we were designed to experience, that we were created for. We yield ourselves so that we can be released into the fullness of life. But to experience this freedom, Jesus has to have captivated our heart. He has to have captivated our heart first. He must be our heart's deepest treasure. If I could have the team come up. You know, Psalm 25, verses 4 to 5 says this. 
Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. See, when I look to myself, when I look to my truth, my truth, my truth is determined by experience by my experience, by my circumstances. It's swayed by circumstance. It's deceived by the fickleness of my heart. But the truth, the truth is Jesus. And Jesus will never let you down. He is the truth that we can set ourselves upon, that we can stand upon. And when I set my heart on him, when he is my treasure, I'm oriented towards his very best for my life. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to finish up shortly. You know, what we love, what we love, what we value, it shapes our perceptions, our thinking, our decisions, our habits, and our life. What is it that we love? You know, I think we can so easily complicate this, this Christian journey we can start to think, well, if I do this, if I pray more, if I go to church every week, if I read my Bible every day, twice a day, even better, the more that I can do, the more that I can adhere to what I see, then the the greater I will become. But the Christian journey isn't about acquiring knowledge. It's not about how good we are. It's actually got nothing to do with anything that we we do. We're not called to attain more knowledge, but to be transformed. Transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that's not a comfortable process. That might mean that we have to change. That might mean that we have to to stop making certain decisions, stop living in certain ways. But that is not a constraint that restricts us. It's a constraint that actually empowers us into God's very best for our life. It's uncomfortable. The truth can be uncomfortable because it can point out the things in our heart, habits in our thinking, habits in our actions, things that are holding us back, things that we have to let go of in order to move forward into all that God has. But as we're reshaped, as we're molded, we find that we don't actually lose by letting go. We don't lose by letting go, but we gain by releasing so that we can receive all that He has for us. Come on, why don't we pray? God, I just thank You that we don't have to go searching, that we don't have to strive to get closer to You. But God, that we can simply rest in knowing You. God, I pray that that You would point out the things in our heart that would pull our gaze from You. The things that may have accumulated over time through circumstances, through decisions, whatever it might be. But that You would actually point out the things to us that are holding us back. The things that we have treasured more than you. God, show us what it is that we've held on to that has held us back. 
I pray that You would strengthen us to let go so that we could set our eyes upon You as our treasure, our greatest treasure, that we would be oriented towards Your very best for our life, even if it means letting go. God, show us our priorities. Reveal to us what it is that we love. And God, I pray that for each of us, we would say that it was You. That above all else, that we just treasure and desire and value You. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Uh, We're going to finish up with one last song.